Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of the pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, 
my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forests in safety. I will bless them and the places surrounding my hill. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit, and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, our people, and I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, it is one of those precious images and metaphors of the Bible that you come to us and say that uh, we are sheep and you will shepherd us. You, yourself, know each of us by name and will shepherd us. You'll give us precisely what we need. And so, Father, we pray that you would indeed do that this evening, that as we hear you speak to us, you would shepherd us in the way we need. And some of us uh, need uh, the rough hand of a shepherd, rebuking us, pulling us back from danger, putting us back on the right path. Others, Others of us are weak. Spiritually, we're wandering from you. We may be uh, flagging and downcast called back from the mission field, sick and wondering, what are you doing, Lord? Please, would you strengthen us as you've promised this evening? Would you feed your sheep, we pray? Amen. Now, sheep are very stupid. I I know very little about sheep. That wasn't really my upbringing, being one, or um, in a sort of place where there were lots of sheep. Uh, But uh, most of what I learned about sheep was from a man called Ben. I was at theological college with a guy called Ben. Uh, He was from Kenya, and in his teenage years, he'd been a shepherd. Most of us in the West do like a paper round or work in a shop. But he had been a shepherd, you know, a proper shepherd, shepherd, you know, fighting off wild animals with uh, big sticks and uh, uh, slingshot-type shepherds. He was, you know, I don't know what you think of when you think of shepherd, a slightly effeminate bloke with a L'Oreal hair and uh, sort of blowing in the wind, sort of far away stare. He was a, you know, he was a brute. Because if you're going to fight off a wolf that's attacking sheep, you want a bloke who can throw things and beat things. Uh, so he was a powerful man. So most of what I learned uh, about she- sheep are from him. And I, I said one day, we were having lunch together, and I said, now, sheep, quite important in the Bible. Tell me about sheep. So he did. And uh, the memorable points were uh, this. Sheep are stupid. I mean, that's the headline. Sheep are stupid. For a number of reasons. One, they wander. That's what they do. They just wander. You know, all the sheep are in one place. Meh, what's over here? 
And uh, you say, well, that'll be a cliff. you die if you fall off it. Meh, it looks interesting. And um, uh, off they go. There's no reasoning with it. They just wander. And uh, off they, they, they drift. That's what they do. No, not like a flock of birds that tends to like to stay together. They're kind of loners that wander off on their own. They wander. Uh, second thing, they're stubborn. They are very stubborn. He said, the crazy thing about sheep is you can take them to a gate, you know, a big open gate, and uh, through the other side, there's just another field or a bit of hill. And, uh, and they'll sort of march up to the gate, and then they'll just stop. And you think, what are they, what are they stopping? Oh, what do they stop? Well, because they're nervous. They think, what happens if I go through the gate? But they can see. Oh, yeah, they can see. But they're, they're kind of short-sighted and just stubborn. And so they all line up there. You're going, I'm not going first. You're going first. I'm not going through the gate. <laughs> What will happen if we go through the gate? I don't know. It's another field. It's another, you know, I don't know what will happen. I'm not going first. So you, they're stubborn. And they don't, which is why you, ha- you often have a dog. So the dog goes, they go, all right, I'll go. And um, because you, sometimes they need a bit of encouragement uh, to actually get on moving. So they wander. They're stubborn. And of course, they are defenseless. That's the reason the shepherd is there, to protect them from predators. Uh, I mean, if you're, I mean, this gets a bit, don't run too much with the imagery, but if you're a wolf and you come along and load a sheep, shepherd here? No shepherd. Dinner. Because, you know, you're big and, and they're sort of pathetic and defenseless and they need a shepherd to guide them. So sheep are, um, they wander away, they're defenseless and they're stubborn. Sheep are pretty stupid. And it's probably the most common metaphor the Bible uses for you and me. So it's not a very flattering picture. Sheep are really stupid. And human beings, that's you, says God. Look at the sheep and learn from their stupidity. And alongside that, the picture is, often biblically, of God as a shepherd. Who is required. We need, all of us need some kind of shepherd. Because... Morally, spiritually, we're stupid. We wander, we're stubborn, and our defenses are weak. So we need shepherds. Now we'll work our way then through this uh, book of Ezekiel, and uh, we've, we've hit the turning point, uh, really, in the book. Oh, there we go. So if you remember, the, it runs a bit like uh, this, the book of Ezekiel. Um, uh, the uh, God's people, they're in exile uh, in Babylon. So Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel where they've been for about 400 odd years uh, since David made it his capital. But uh, things have gone very bad. Morally, they're badly and corrupt. So God uh, allows them to be defeated in battle 597. Sorry, five nine, so 597, uh, Jerusalem is uh, surrounded and uh, 10,000 people are taken off into exile. Uh, Ezekiel is one of them, so he's preaching to people in Babylon. They all think, oh, we'll go home soon, we'll go home soon. Well, you shut up, Ezekiel, you weirdo, we're going home soon. He says, no, you will not. Uh, and so um, he preaches, preaches away, preaches away. From 592, he's called to be a prophet. For five years, he preaches. And most of the book is in that section. So certainly chapters 1 to uh, 24, are, or, um, Ezekiel is preaching judgment. Judgment is coming. Don't put your faith in a return to Jerusalem. Judgment is coming. So that's his message for 24 chapters. Um, chapters 25 to 32 are a bit different. There, uh, he's uh, preaching against the other nations. He does that for all of his life. But today we reach the middle point. So from chapter 33 onwards, 33 to 48, 15 chapters of good news. And if you've been here for the last month, that is good news. Because some of the passages we've looked at have been quite full on in what they've had to say about the human condition. 
So turning point. The turning point actually precisely comes in uh, chapter 33 and verse 21. Chapter 33 and verse 21. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month of the fifth day, a man who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city's fallen. That's it. So for five years of his life, Ezekiel has been preaching nothing but the city, Jerusalem's going to fall, repent and turn back to God, and it happens. And now things change. So now that's happened and the people are confronted with, oh, Ezekiel was right. Oh. Oh, now what? Now? Now let me tell you what God is going to do next. Let me tell you the good news. So uh, many people call it this. From, uh, from chapter 34 onwards, the remainder of the book is the gospel. According to Ezekiel, it's sometimes uh, referred to as that. Now, uh, chapter, chapter 34 itself uh, breaks down a bit like this. We're going to look at the problem of selfish shepherds, uh, the solution of the true shepherd, and then the future with the good shepherd. Um, so let's uh, look at these in turn. First then, uh, verses 1 to 10, uh, God speaks of the problem of the selfish shepherds. So chapter 34, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Now fundamentally, that's a reference to the kings. Uh, in the Old Testament times, the shepherds were the kings. So maybe not what we're uh, associated with thinking. But, um, and the problem is clear, uh, they're corrupt. So verses 2 and 3, they're selfish. Um, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice of animals. You've not taken care of the flock. They're selfish. Verse 4, they neglect the people. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. So 2 and 3, they're selfish. Verse 4, they neglect the the sheep. So verses 5 and 6, the sheep are scattered all over the place. And of course, that's precisely what happens in the exile. It's gone. But in 597, and in the second uh, conquest of Jerusalem in 587, the people, the nation of Israel, just scattered. Scattered all around the place, all over the, uh, the world of the time. They're scattered. Because the people, sorry, the kings were selfish. They were using the people for their self-interest. Now that's not completely uncommon, I guess. That problem of uh, selfish leadership. So political leaders have done this throughout history. I remember um, uh, years ago, uh, um, going to Romania, not long after 1989, when there had been the revolutions across um, uh, Central Europe, a couple of years after that, I went to uh, spend a summer working with Christians in Romania, and uh, obviously travelled through Bucharest on my, uh, on my travels, the, uh, the capital. So not long, only it was about three years since uh, Nicolae Ceausescu had been deposed. Now there was a man who for 15 years had used the people in his own self-interest. So they had been uh, largely dragged out of the beautiful countryside, put in these dreadfully made uh, tower blocks to help drive forward his industrialization. But the people were impoverished and he was very rich. You can visit, um, I forget what it's called now, the People's Palace, I'm not quite sure. But uh, what was his uh, essentially uh, palace and government building? When I went at the time, it was the second largest building in the world after the Pentagon. It's still the world's heaviest building. I forget the stats, but there are countless millions of ton of marble in this palace, and chandeliers, kind of the width of, not quite, about half the width of this room, just vast crystal chandeliers. 
And certainly when I went out, I'm not quite sure now, but the discrepancy between these miserable tower blocks that he'd gather the people into and the exceptional opulence was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting. So you met, and of course it's not ideal justice, but in 1989 he tried to flee uh, with his wife. Uh, he was captured. There was a brief trial and they were killed. Now it's miserable in one sense. It's rough justice or rapid justice, but... They were bad shepherds. He was a bad shepherd. Now we see it in one sense, a much milder form. Uh, in the UK, so just only a couple of years ago, wasn't it? The expenses scandal. Uh, nowhere near the same, of course. But again, there are a number, not all, not all MPs, some wonderful, but some. Well, there was a variety, wasn't there, between um, financial mistakes to um, really knowingly taking money that shouldn't be theirs to downright criminal fraud, which is why half a dozen um, uh, MPs and lords have served prison sentences. Again, using the public purse for their own wealth, using the people to serve them. This is not an uncommon phenomenon. These kings, these shepherds were corrupt back then, and it goes on today. So see the Lord's response, verses 7 to 10. I guess especially verse 10. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. So the picture, of course, is humanity, we're sheep, we're vulnerable, we're stupid, we wander, we're defenseless, we're stubborn. We need shepherds who will guide us. We need leaders who will direct us and protect us. And these, the kings of um, Israel for the best part of half a millennia, had been corrupt. They'd ruled in their own interest, taken from the people for themselves. And God says, enough. I am against you. Now that's the language of God judging. That's the language of God's enemies. You kings who are ruling my people for, for their sake, you are now my enemy. And I'm against you. Now, you've been here the last few weeks, you think, oh, fantastic. We've got past you know, chapter 33. It's good news now. It's good news. And he starts off, and once again, it's judgment. Thanks for that. But do you see, judgment of oppressive leaders is good news. That is good news. A God who cares for his people is a God who will judge those who are wicked and abuse his people. And so, of course, it was, it is, it was good news in 1989 when a Nikolai Ceausescu was removed from power. That was good news for his people. He was corrupt. He had stolen from them for his benefit. That is good news, or was good news. Now, in a current scenario, you may disapprove of the method. But for Gaddafi to be removed from leadership of Libya when he is killing his people, and you see the uh, um, International Criminal Court will prosecute him for deliberately promoting rape of his people, giving Viagra to his soldiers to mass rape people who have opposed him. To have a man such as that removed, that is good news. That is wonderful news. And do you see that a God who doesn't judge wickedness, who just allows people to be abused, you don't want that God. 
a God who cares is a God who judges. And the reason if you sit in this room tonight and don't like that is because you've lived under benevolent regimes all your life and know nothing of corruption of this sort of order. But if you're in Libya right now, you, you want a God who will take away that man. You want that. A God who cares is a God who judges. That's one, that is good news. So that's the problem uh, with the selfish shepherds. Second then, let's look at the solution. The solution of the true shepherd, uh, which is verses 11 to 24. God essentially says, right, stuff this. The monarchy's over. There's been a monarchy in Israel for 500 years. Gone. I'm going to do it myself. That's the point. So look at the eyes. Uh, Verse 11, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his flock when he's with them, I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they're scattered. Verse 13, I will bring them out. Verse 13, I will bring them to the land. I will pasture them. Verse 14, I will tend them. Verse 15, I myself will tend my sheep. Verse 16, I will search for the lost. I will bind up the injured. I'll do it. I'm going to do it. I am hands-on being involved with my people here in an unprecedented way. I will rule. Let's break it down, uh, if we can. It breaks down slightly like this. Verses 11 to 13. I'll seek, says the Lord. I'll seek them out. So verse 11. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. Now, in history, there's a sense in which he does this. Uh, verse 13, I'll bring them back out of the nations and gather them from the countries and back in Israel. There's a sense in which he does this uh, a few decades later. So the people dribble back to Jerusalem and uh, they rebuild the temple. And it kind of happens. Apart from when they do do that and they rebuild the temple and they rebuild the city wall, people look at that and cry. Because they say, is this really what God promised? It's not, it's not that impressive. It's nowhere near as good as we had it before under Solomon. And God made these extravagant promises, and this doesn't look very good. It's kind of like you know, me saying, I will cook you a wonderful meal. Oh, really? Great. And you come round, you get beans on toast. Well, it's not... Now, that's kind of reality. But that's um, <laughs> not a, oh, a wonderful meal, really? This is it? Well, if you've been starving, it's quite good. It'll stave off the hunger. But it's not wonderful. And God here is making these extravagant promises. It's not just the physical return between 1,500 years later to Jerusalem. Because here God is looking beyond the return physically from Babylon to the land of Israel. He's looking spiritually. Of course, Jesus tells the story in John 15. God is like a shepherd who will leave his 99 sheep and go after the one sheep and pursue him and not give up until he finds him, brings him home. That's what God is like. He now is searching for people who have walked away from him and who have been scattered, who have been exiled by their sin, by their rejection of him. And God is a God who goes and searches. I hope, you, I hope you get that. I don't know if you're a Christian here tonight. Or not. If you're not a Christian, you might think you're searching for God. You're not really. God is searching for you. 
See, God isn't hard to find. He came as a man and said, here I am, and uh, left us an enormous legacy. He's not hard to find. You, you meet him on the pages of the Bible. He's not hard to find. It's us who instinctively are hiding from him. We don't really want anything to do with him. And uh, for many of us who are Christians, that would be our testimony. For myself, I went off to university you know, a couple of decades ago. I wasn't interested in God. and had no desire to find God. I certainly wasn't searching for him. But a couple of friends uh, sort of nagged. You need to take this seriously. You need to take this seriously. All right, all right. Uh, and eventually, I thought, oh, I can't ignore you anymore, God. I th- you are true. I wasn't searching for God. God came after me. And that's the testimony of every Christian. God is a God who searches. He is seeking. I will seek, says the Lord. Secondly, I'll tend. I will tend, verses 14 to 16. I'll tend for my people, tenderly look after them. Do you see in particular verse 16 is the complete opposite of verse 4. So the false shepherds, they didn't strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind the injured. God, verse 16, I will search for the lost, yes, but then I'll bind up the injured, strengthen the weak. I'll do those things. Now that is an extraordinary promise that he's making. I'll do this. Of course, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus says much the same in John chapter 10 when he appears and says, I'm the good shepherd. You know, you've been expecting God to come. Here I am. I'm the good shepherd. And he gives a similar story where he says that there are bad shepherds too. There are hired hands who, um, uh, they'll look after the sheep, but when a wolf comes, they'll run away, run away, because they're only self-interested. They use the sheep to gain for themselves. Whereas Christ would say, I'm the good shepherd. I give of myself for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Complete reverse of um, self-aggrandizing, self-interested kings. I will give myself, he says. The good shepherd dies for his sheep. Again, verse 16, I think, is, is stunningly beautiful. God himself will do it. God himself, I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. What a thing for a king to say, I'll do it for the individual. Of course, impossible for, a, possible for any human to say that. Impossible for the queen to say, I'll personally look after every single one of my subjects in the Commonwealth. You can't say that. Of course not. It's unreasonable to expect it. Unreasonable to, ask, to expect David Cameron to say, look, you know, I'm, my pledge to you is I will personally come and hear your troubles and issues and take care of you. Of course. You can't expect that. God can say that. God can say, I myself will tend for you, give you what you need. I will search for the well, everyone. I'll search for the lost. I'll bring back the strays, those who are those who are sort of backsliding, those who are uncertain in the Christian faith, those who are going through a real period of doubt. I'll bring them back. They'll hear my voice and I'll bring them back. The injured. Those who are injured by I don't know. Those who are injured by opposition and just ground down by uh, their friends, family, saying, what are you doing? Why do you take this so seriously? 
will you just go a little bit easier? And it just, it just grinds you down. And you feel a little weak. God says, I'll strengthen you. I'll strengthen you. The, sorry, that's the injured. And the weak. I mean, again, I don't know, strengthening the weak. Weak because life is rough at the moment. Weak because your, your plans have just collapsed. Forced to come back from overseas, and you're thinking, How long are we here? Are we going to get healthy? Are we going to be able to go back? Are we going to be able to get our visas? Weak because, well, actually, it's just tough at the moment. And I feel low, and life is disappointing, and I'm not so confident as once I was of the Christian faith that you're a God who really cares for me. I will do that, he says. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. My people will hear my voice. And of course it is as Jesus speaks that he does this, that he draws people back, that he binds up, that he strengthens. So if you don't know that, if you think, well, that's nice words. I don't experience that in my life. You're not listening to him, really. You may have him as your God. You don't have him as your shepherd who you're listening and following because this is what he does for us. I mean, tidy example this week, uh, uh, um, uh, Wednesday, I was absolutely shattered, and then this thing came through about the parking, and you think, oh, for goodness sake, Lord, sometimes you just make it really hard. You know, it's, leading to, it's just hard work sometimes, and then it just gets harder. And so I very got, in a very godly fashion, I sulked for Wednesday morning. I just sulked and thought, I can't, what am I doing? sort of shuffled papers around and moved things around a little bit, sent a few emails, but really it was the most unproductive morning I've probably had all year because I was sulking. It was just hard work. Why is it just so hard, Lord? Okay, but I do, you know, can't waste the whole day. So I started work on the morning sermon, 2 Samuel, working through 2 Samuel 6. I won't give it to you all, but 2 Samuel 6, David tries to bring the ark to Jerusalem. It all goes terribly wrong, and we're told in 2 Samuel 6, David sulks. He sulks and says, oh, for goodness sake, Lord, I tried to do the right thing. And, oh, well, I can't, I'm just going to do nothing now because I'm just, you know, I don't know what to do. It's all gone wrong. I had a big plan. It's all gone wrong. And he sulks. And then God reminds him of what a good God he is and how blessed he is. So he gets up and has another go. And I read this and thought, oh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> That's what I needed. That's what I needed. I just, it was just a small thing. But I was just feeling pretty flat. God lifted me out. That's what he does. That's what he does to us. That's what the shepherd does when he speaks. I'll tend. And I will judge. I will judge verses uh, 17 to 22. Now, striking here, he is addressing not just the, uh, the bad shepherds, but the whole flock. Very striking, verse 17. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another. And between rams and goats, is it not enough for you to feed on good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? So clearly in the 6th century BC, it wasn't just the kings who were ruling in their own interests. There were others who were doing very well, thank you very much. Others in the community who were flourishing. And they're just, you know, you're not doing so well, are you? Anyway, not so worry about you because I'm doing okay. And so they were doing, they were very comfortable and well and prospering while others suffered. And God says, 
Well, be careful. Be careful. These people, verses 20 and 21. He says to them, I will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away. I will judge. Now, it's very easy in a church to just draw near to those who are like you and can benefit you, who are good company, who can offer you good contacts, who bake nice cakes if you're Jonathan. It's very easy just to to be drawn to those who can advance you and neglect those who need a bit of help. Neglect the weak. Neglect the lean for whom life isn't going too well. And it's often the phrase that used, the role of the shepherd, the good shepherd, is to comfort the afflicted, but also to afflict the comfortable. And so for some here tonight, hear the shepherd rightly when he says, you're too comfortable. You're just too comfortable. And life is very easy for you. And life goes well. And you don't care about anyone else. Watch out if that's you. Oh, you can ask yourself the question, um, are there people at church whom it costs me to love, who drain me, who take up my time? And if there's no one, well, you might just be a fat sheep. You come and you graze, and it's nice. You graze on the music and you graze on the teaching and you graze on the, on the nice people you meet. And life is comfortable. And there are people who are struggling and you think, yeah, others can deal with them. I'm comfortable. I don't, I don't want that to be disrupted. God says, be careful. Don't be a fat sheep that ignores the lean ones. I mean, Jesus, of course, tells this parable in a slightly different way in uh, Matthew 25. How this is ultimately fulfilled on the last day. In Matthew 25, he says quite clearly, I'll stand there and I'll separate the sheep from the goats. Now, ultimately, he's talking about those who have faith in him and those who do not. But he says, of course, in Matthew 25, how you treat other Christians is a mark of of your faith. Certainly a mark of its maturity and genuineness, how you treat other Christians. And that's no different to what Ezekiel is saying here. If you don't care, really, just your own comfort is what consumes you and you care about. If you're just comfortable and don't really care for those who are not, hear his voice. That's not quite right. Genuine faith is often revealed in the way we treat other Christians. So yeah, this is a chapter of great hope. It really is. But it has the warning as well. Uh, warning to corrupt leaders. Warning to us if we're just fat and comfortable. Spiritually, financially. That's not a healthy place to be. Warns Ezekiel. Very briefly, before we turn to the future, the future with the good shepherd, let me make the obvious point. God often does his work of shepherding. The great shepherd often does his work of shepherding through under-shepherds. So classically in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 5, Peter writes to the elders there and says, To the elders among you I appeal, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, until the chief shepherd returns. God does his work often of shepherding through others, through other people. And so the New Testament would expect us to be under the authority of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, but also under the authority of other shepherds. We need to be accountable. That's essential. 
Because remember who we are, we're sheep. We are prone to wander. We are stubborn and think we're right. Actually, we're defenseless, defenseless against wolves who would come in. I guess in the New Testament, the language of wolf is reserved for false teacher. We need defending against our own stupidity, our own sinfulness. We need a shepherd to come get hold of us sometimes and say, no, you, here, don't go over there. Don't indulge in that practice. Get over here. We don't like being yanked back. Sometimes it's very painful, but we need shepherds because we're stupid. I don't remember this in um, January 2010, so just over a year ago. There was this case in Northumberland that loads of sheep were dying on the hills in the snow. And uh, the farmers were slightly bewildered. You know, there are these uh, shelters, man-made shelters with lots of food in them. And they, what, are these, what are these sheep doing? In other years, they've always gone in to these shelters. And um, so it's freezing cold and snow. They just go into these shelters and they're fine and they're not doing it anymore. And the issue was apparently because they'd forgotten. <laughs> I mean, it had been about three years since they'd had dreadful snows. And so the, the older ones hadn't taught the younger ones and the older ones had forgotten. Extraordinary. You know, these two sheep on a hillside, I'm freezing cold. Yes. <laughs> what do you think? Should we find some shelter? Maybe. <laughs> or do you think it'll just pass? Yeah, we'll be fine. You don't think we're going to die? No. As long, yeah, we'll be all right, will we? Yeah, let's just stay here. And they, so they just stayed, then they died because they're stupid. <laughs> and that's the biblical picture. You need a shepherd. You and I need a shepherd to guide us, to yank us back when we're drifting away. That's what we need. So that's why here at church, of course, we're desperate to have everyone in some form of small group, to have accountability there. You can't live the Christian life on your own. You need to be in some sort of small group where you're accountable to others. There's some kind of leadership. It's gentle. But people looking after you saying, you're never around. Why is going on? Why is that? One of the best, uh, one of the, uh, a lovely guy, years ago, about 10 years ago in this church, uh, I led a Bible study group. There was a bloke called Kevin in it. He, um, he had a PhD in rocket science. All sorts of gags go along with that. And he'd be sitting there studying the Bible. He'd ask a question, come on, it's not rocket science. And um, he was genuinely, he had a PhD in rocket science. Actually, he was working in the city because uh, that would be useful. Um, having a degree in rocket science there. But, um, uh, but he, he, so he's a super bright guy. I mean, he really was phenomenally quick-minded. Uh, but I remember reading, we studied John's Gospel, I remember studying this, and uh, he just le- left the study and um, said, uh, that's brilliant. It's just so, I just need to say that to myself every day. I am a clever bloke, but I'm a stupid sheep too. I may be able to design a rocket that goes to the moon, but I'm a stupid sheep. And we need, we need to remind ourselves, and that became his mantra for a few weeks, I'm a stupid sheep. And once there's a sense in which you and I need to remind ourselves of that. I'm a brilliant businessman, but I'm a stupid sheep. I'm a highly successful performer, but I'm a stupid sheep. I am excellent at my studies. I'm a straight-A student, but I'm a stupid sheep. Because spiritually we are, just because you're bright, just because you're successful. So what? We're all stupid sheep who go astray and need a shepherd to yank us back. And God gives us human shepherds. Now, we don't like being under anyone's authority as such. But God says you need it. We need it. Don't despise it. 
Oh, go for shepherds who will lay down their life for you. Go for shepherds who will give themselves for your good rather than take from you for their good. Those are the shepherds you want, but we need a shepherd. All of us do. We want that. People who will seek us out. People who will tend us. People who will judge those who will abuse us. We need a shepherd. Last thing, very briefly then. Verses 25 to 31 turn to the future. The future with the good shepherd. And uh, it's sort of all pastoral imagery at this point. We're not to take this literally. Verses 26 and 7. I'll bless them in places surrounding uh, my hill. I'll send down showers in season. Well, we're not doing that. The showers are coming in June. It's not, not to take it literally. Here is a picture of great uh, fertility in the land. Now, in the Old Testament, if you were here last year, we thought about this in some detail in Deuteronomy. But in the Old Testament, the, the fertility of the land is a sort of spiritual barometer for God's people. So when they obey, you get rain and good crops. When they disobey, you get barren seasons and bad crops. So in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28, God explicitly says, for you, Israel, you, this people, in a certain place in in the world, in a certain time in history, this is how it works. You obey me, you get cash, essentially. You disobey me, you don't. That was for a certain season then, tied to Israel, when it was, a, when it was a, a monarchy living in the land. It's not true anymore. It's not the New Testament perspective. And it's the classic mistake of those who advance some kind of prosperity gospel. Obey God, you'll get rich. You want a Mercedes? Just pray to God. You, you want things to go well? Just love God and all, your, all will be given to you and you'll be prosperous. And it's absolute nonsense. It's a complete failure to recognize. There's a difference between how the old covenant blessings worked, fertility in the land, and how they do now. There's no promised land in the New Testament apart from heaven. So we mustn't confuse the then and there in the new creation with the here and now. Don't get those two confused. If you do, you'll be wildly disappointed and give up on the faith. Then and there... Prosperity and abundance and everything is wonderful. Here and now, forgiveness, relationship with the good shepherd. But materially, physically, it's still a fallen world. Don't confuse the there and then with the here and now. But if you want to know what the there and then looks like, well, the Bible ends there. The Bible ends there in the book of Revelation. Let me just give you a couple of verses of the then and there. In uh, Revelation chapter 7, verses 15 to 17, God describes his people. They're before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb... At the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is a stunning picture of the then and there. In one sense, the metaphor gets confused. The lamb is the shepherd. Hey, big promotion for Sean the sheep. Of course, if you know your Bible, of course... Jesus Christ, he is the good shepherd who becomes a lamb to die in our place. 
But Isaiah puts it 53.6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So it is the lamb is also the shepherd. And what will he do? Oh, it's very wonderful. Living water. Every tear wiped from our eyes. No sun. No thirst. No hunger. No disappointment. No pain. No illness. That's what the shepherd is taking us to. And if you know he's taking you to that, trust him now. Trust him now. That's, he's done it in the past. He's given his life for you. He's taking you to that. Trust him now. He won't let you down. He's the shepherd who gives his life for the sake of you. He gives. So hear his voice. Listen to him. Let him tend you. Let him seek you and bring you back to him if you're not yet a Christian. Let him bind you up and repair you if you are. But follow him now. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for in your wisdom you tell us we're sheep. I mean, you may be very amused by that metaphor. You may be very pleased with comparing us to sheep and, and design sheep as stupid wanderers who are stubborn just for this very point. We don't know that in your wisdom you may have done, but thank you for the clarity of that metaphor that we need a shepherd over us. And we thank you and we praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ is entirely the shepherd that we need. He is everything we need. Would we look to him? In looking to him, would we listen to the voices of under-shepherds but we know they'll disappoint us, even as they're seeking to help us. So we thank you we have one such as you. Would we hear your voice as you lead us home? Amen.